they're learning creative, fun, okay ways to break what they've considered to be rules, right? Is that this is the way the system was intended. Let's find a fun way to tweak that. And kids delight in that stuff. Hello, and welcome to the Hacker Next Door podcast, where we explore the origin stories, exploits, and everyday lives of real-world hackers. I'm your host, Jeremy N. Smith. And this series is my chance to challenge stereotypes and examine the human side of this extraordinary activity and profession, who hackers really are, and how hacking really works. My guests today are Caroline Harden and Grant Doby, a hacker couple and parents exploring what it means to raise the next generation of hacker kids. By day, Caroline's a professor at Western Washington University, researching in computer science education, and Grant's an engineer at cybersecurity giant Tenable whose customers include more than half of the Fortune 500. The couple is involved in a huge number of volunteer efforts, from local makerspaces to student hackathons to the kids' area at the annual DEF CON Hacking Conference in Las Vegas. Our conversation dives right into a host of fascinating topics, and it's a great way for someone of any age to learn more about hacking mindsets, ethics, ideas, and activities. Caroline and Grant, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Happy to be here. Let's start with a couple of common terms. I think when most people think of a young hacker, they still picture a teenager alone in his or her basement or bedroom, but hacking can be much more social than that. To start, what's a makerspace and what's a hackathon? I'll start with hackathon. I'll let Grant talk about makerspaces as we're relative experts in each. A hackathon is a time-bound collaborative technology challenge event. Uh, often at contests where students, high school, college age students, sometimes employees at uh, companies, sometimes community members get together in one space, usually one space, and try to solve a problem. 24 hours, 36 hours is the typical one. And stay up all night, eat food, play games, mentors from other areas, expert mentors, other industries come in to help people. And they collaborate and come up with these amazing ideas and proofs of concepts in a very short amount of time. And it's an amazing opportunity to learn by creating real things for real people, learning through failure and learning through collaboration, which is something different than you would find in the classroom or in industry. It's kind of a unique space and it's a great space for people to explore their identity in tech because it's only 24 hours or 36 hours. So if you're like, I'm not sure if I, I want to do this, you can try to see kind of see the whole like full stack trajectory from brainstorming to having a like a, an investor type pitch, that whole thing, development, testing, user testing, all that, and see, is this a thing I want to do? Is this a thing I can do? Do I enjoy doing this? Can you give examples of one of those sort of premises or projects that sort of everyone was working on for 24 hours? Yeah, I can talk about one of the ones I came up with. I went to a cryptocurrency hackathon. And the project we came up with, it was digital badges. We came up with a digital badge game where if you achieve certain accomplishments in cryptocurrency, like doing seven transactions or having transactions with 50 different people or stuff like that, you'd earn different badges as a way to get people to play around with cryptocurrency and explore it and show off what they had done. It's sort of like cryptocurrency Girl Scouts, I'm picturing. Yeah. And it was just a fun way to play. We learned all about digital badges. We learned all about cryptocurrency, Bitcoin specifically. We didn't know anything about these two topics specifically when we came in. I knew a little bit about digital badging. And so we knew all knew a little bit about Bitcoin. I was with one friend and two people we didn't know. And we got second place. 
Congratulations. Yeah. The big takeaway I took from it is that we did not win because of our code. Our code was rubbish. It barely worked. We won because of the person on the team who was really good at Photoshop because he made our badges look amazing. They looked so good and it looked like a real thing and you could believe in it. So I always try to tell people, don't think that you can't do well and learn a lot and succeed at a hackathon because you've only been programming for this amount of time or you're just learning programming. The thing that can make your project really stand out could is often this ancillary skill that you bring in that can really make something shine. Interesting. So Grant, Makerspace. There's about a billion different definitions. I've compared it to a combination of your grandpa's garage, your grandma's sewing room, and a church basement. I've called them mutual aid societies for people who work with their hands. I've referred to them as gym memberships, except with tools. But at their very heart, they're communities of people who want to make or create. Say I walk in one, what would I see? So if you were to walk into the Baudry right now, you'd see a mostly assembled wood shop, a large open shop area with room for laser cutters and jewelry benches. You'd see a spray booth, a machine shop, a welding shop, industrial sewing machines, sergers and embroidery machines. You'd see 3D printers, a large layout table for cutting fabric and putting together patterns for clothing or costumes. You'd see a classroom and you'd see... A bunch of boxes and tools in the wrong place because we just moved. But I see any human beings? Yeah, all the time. Friday nights tend to be very busy. Monday nights tend to be very busy. It depends on the community as well. Sometimes it's basically just sort of shared office space where everybody needs a laser cutter or everybody needs a pick and place. Sometimes it's a very large community room with tools on the periphery. We've set up at the Baudry dedicated workshop areas with common tools in the middle, common work tables in the middle. If you go to, say, Pumping Station 1 in Chicago, you would see an scanning electron microscope in the electronics area, whereas the Baudry, we've got a small homemade surface mount oven that we made out of a toaster oven. (laughs) You know, it depends on what you have access to and where you are and what your community's goals are. What's another example of a cool project that you see there? One of my favorites is a couple of retired engineers who are interested in 3D printing, and they got involved in something called Enable. And Enable is trying to reduce the cost of prosthetic devices for children. So if you have a child who was born with a congenital defect where they're missing a limb or part of a limb or a child in a horrible accident and they need a prosthetic limb, those can cost somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 50 grand a pop. Wow. And as you know, having children yourself, kids grow out of things extraordinarily fast. And so you're looking at buying somewhere between four and five of those prostheses. Oh, gosh. And with 3D printers and 3D design software, it turns out you can make a prosthetic for something in the neighborhood of 30 bucks of plastic. If you're printing it out of nylon, it's going to be more expensive. And depending on what colors and stuff you choose, but basically you print the components, you buy some hardware at the hardware store, and you can make a mostly functional prosthetic for between 30 and 50 bucks of plastic, maybe $100 total once you count the wire and the hardware fittings. And the cool thing about it is, let's say your kid's out playing and they're riding their bike or they're riding a skateboard or something, they fall and they break a finger off the prosthetic. Well, just fire up the printer and make a new one. <laughs> or this they're is growing, amazing. Right? And this I is something this. that's being done on the Baudry's 3D printers. 
Wow. And what they what these engineers are doing is they're they're working with families, they're printing the first one, and then they're showing the families how to use a 3D printer to re- print replacement parts or to extend the forearm or to replace wires or stuff like that. That's beautiful. Caroline, going even younger, you've developed some really cool lesson plans and workshops to teach hacking concepts to kids as young as elementary school age. For example, can you describe the black horse, white horse lesson with Legos? Yeah, I'm really wanting to get kids thinking about open source and the importance of open source and how that contrasts with proprietary software. But that's a pretty abstract concept to get like an eight-year-old to think about, right? Yeah, just explain to us, the listener, what is open source versus proprietary software in brief? The metaphor I came up with was I made two Lego horses. One was white and one was black. And I would put them before the kids and say, go ahead and play with them and try to tell me what the difference is other than one's white and one's black. And they'd start to play with it. And they'd quickly discover that they could take apart the white one. And when they shook them, they could hear something. And they took it apart and they found there was a little tiny Lego inside that I'd drawn a bug on. Like, oh, I can see the bug. I can see what this is made out of. And I could take the bug out and I can change it and modify it. But the black horse was a black box. It was super glued together. So you could not change Uh, it. So the white horse, you can change into a kitty cat. You can find stuff inside it. You can do whatever you want with it. The black horse is a black horse here and forever. And that's sort of the analogy between Microsoft Windows, which you're not going to change what it is, versus an open source operating system like I don't know. Tell me an open source operating system. Like Ubuntu or like OpenOffice versus Microsoft Word, right? One you can customize and one you cannot. Cool. But if you think about it, like the black horse, if you drop it, some people say it's a little more stable because you're changing and customizing thing. You're then responsible for making sure it stays together. And because the black horse, often you're licensing it. If there is anything wrong, there's someone else who's responsible for fixing it. But they can also take it away from you. So we talked about things like what's the difference between owning a DVD and Netflix? And the kids all really understand that. Like, yeah, movies just come and go on Netflix. But if I own the DVD, that's mine. And I followed up with them a couple weeks later saying, okay, tell me what the difference is between open source and proprietary software. And they like remembered it. And they're like, yeah, so one is like a horse that's glued together. So I was like, yes, not only did you get it, but it, it persisted. I had some of the kids saying, I want to create code now because I want to be able to customize it. And when I make games, I'm going to release them as open source. This is like a nine-year-old. I'm going to release it as open source because I want the people who play my game to be able to customize it for themselves. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, awesome. Your kids are even younger than this age group, right? Mm -hmm. How old are they and how are you introducing them or planning to introduce them to these kind of ideas and getting them involved in hacking? So Alan is four going on 16. (laughs) and radia is two going on 16 and we spend a lot of time trying to focus their energies into being good humans try to be very Mm truth-centered very is this the right thing to do and very curiosity like how is this put together how would you take it apart how would you change it what yep. can't you change? So following that curiosity to the to the very end of where it'll go, and also learning how to answer your own questions and take care of things for yourself. And sometimes that means learning through failure, right. which is great. Yeah, you're going to put your shoes on the wrong feet. You're going to button up your shirt wrong, and that's fine. You're trying. What's an example of this in action? We let him make messes. If he says, what would happen? Or can I? We're like, mm-hmm. well, try it. And sometimes he regrets this. Um, <laughs> why can't I wear socks in the bathtub? 
Mm-hmm. He regretted that. Why do I have to wear clothes <laughs> in January? That's a, that's one of my favorite stories. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Why can't I just go to the store right now, fresh out of the bathtub in January? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, uh, kid. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. I opened the door. Well, he actually and I was like, said, if you can make it to the car, we'll take we will you to the go, store. go to the store yeah. and buy those cookies. And he got like three steps out on the porch hey. wearing nothing but my purse and what he was born with. And <laughs> he, he was like, you get this look on his face and just, I have made a huge mistake. <laughs> We're like, you're going to be really well, cool. If well, if he had worn his socks, he would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, he made a minute, made a minute to the steps. You know? So if I'm a parent, how do I get my kids and their friends into this stuff? And should I be worried that getting them into hacking will leave them vulnerable either to oh, exploitation God, no. or turn them into criminals themselves? Hacking is not criminal activity. If you've ever used duct tape for anything other than sealing ductwork, you're a hacker. All right. <laughs> hacking is taking something... And, or or taking the rules related to something or the physical processes related to something and understanding them so well that you can make them do something other than the original purpose. It's, Hence the duct tape comment, right? right? It's taking the little white ho- Lego horse apart and changing it. You're looking at a system, and it can, you know, in the classic sense, it's a computer system, and you're going, all right, so these rules work together like this. How do I make them do something else or I bet mm. you I can, if I if I modify this piece a little bit, I can make it do something else. Learning the rules and which rules you can bend and what that means and what the consequences of that are, I think it's a really important life skill. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think any of us are good citizens if we just blindly follow the laws because it's the law. I think we have, need to have an understanding of why it's there, what it means, mm-hmm. when we should bend it. And when to respect it because it's just not worth it. And also knowing when to take agency and when to wait, right? So Alan and Radia were awake at like one in the morning a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and Sorry about that. Well, oh, you know, it, it, happens. Yeah, it happens. It comes with the territory. So the next morning, they were awake for like five seconds, tripped the parent radar, and I was like, okay, they're quiet and going to sleep. So in the morning, we wake up and Caroline's in the upstairs bathroom. She goes, eh, okay. Why is why there, is there, why is there a strawberry empty... container in the in the garbage can? In the upstairs bathroom. Why is there an empty strawberry container up here? That's weird. And so Alan says, oh, Radia woke up in the middle of the night and I woke up because she was crying and she said she was hungry. So I went downstairs and went in the fridge and got the container of strawberries and brought them upstairs. And I gave her strawberries through the bars of her crib. And then when she was full, I had the rest of the strawberries. And then because the container was emptying, I knew I had to throw it away. So I put it in the garbage can and then I went back to sleep. Whoa, this is a good problem. That you yeah. And so we, <laughs> our, our approach to this was awesome. You good helped job. your sister. Good job. But <laughs> please don't go downstairs in the middle of the night without telling mama and dada. Well, there's one thing to feed your sister strawberries, and there's another thing to be going on the internet, going to hacker forums, opening up your cable box or whatever kind of toys or tools you have at hand and turning them to a different end. And maybe they're the same and they're equally benevolent, but one leads to more concern than the other. Well, it depends on what you're trying to do. You know, you could be taking apart your cable box because you want to figure out how to get free HBO or... You could be taking apart your cable box because it keeps rebooting itself every 20 minutes and the cable company is dragging their feet on sending a service tech out. And you know that some electronics suffer from a problem where they have cold solder joints from the factory because the soldering process wasn't very good. So you could take it apart, fix it yourself in about 20 minutes with the soldering iron and a magnifying glass. Or 
you could wait six months and be miserable. It depends entirely on the context. That's a really good point, and it's a natural transition. There's a whole under-18 kids area, Roots Asylum. Absolutely. At the DEF CON Hacking Conference. And I was fascinated when I visited it in the course of my book research, and I know you've taught there. How would you describe the scene, and are your kids going to participate when they're older? Oh, absolutely. Hell yes. Oh, yes. Describe the scene at, at Roots Asylum. There are all of these kids, um, variety of ages, parents, adults are not allowed in the room unless they're accompanied by a kid. And there's a bunch of different stations set up. Sometimes that someone's giving a talk and it's great because the kids don't know why these people are important. So they ask great questions. It's like, who are you? Oh, you're Cory right. Doctorow. All right. They don't okay. know what that who means. Is that? Which I love because they just ask questions and challenge them. Like they don't have a concept of, you know, them being famous. Sometimes there's computers set up for them to do like programming in Minecraft. Uh, there's a full CTF, capture the flag, puzzle challenge competition, block picking. I did the, the horses, the programming one year. I did digital privacy another year. All sorts of different things happening. And it's a chance the kids can wander around, explore, try things out. But I think one of the things that makes them really excited is like at the CTF, they're, they're learning creative, fun, okay ways to break what they've considered to be rules right is that this is the way the system was intended let's find a fun way to tweak that and kids delight in that stuff but you're guiding them to do it in a way that is healthy and productive and is teaching them skills and helping them see themselves as tech as a space where they can be successful we had a, a nanny one year with the with the kids and we let her play the CTF when she was off shift and she came home with these stories about I did this and I did that and it was so exciting and you could just imagine her going back to her midwestern high school and someone challenging her on tech and her being like excuse me I got second place in the CTF on my team because I can do tech like that's a durable transformative identity thing mm -hmm that she's going to be able to carry around with her the rest of her life. I think that's amazing. And she met people from all over the country. All over the world. Inspiring, all over the world, inspiring adults from all over the world who always said, well, try it. See what happens. And especially in our standardized test-driven educational system where it's like, we don't have time for that. No, no, no. Fill in the bubble. For someone to be like, well, try it. See what happens. It's so liberating. It's so good for the spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, having kids, I think itself changes how you see technology for better. Absolutely. Or worse. What's the biggest obstacle you see to raising kids right with this stuff? And what's the biggest opportunity? I think a big obstacle is the opaqueness of what we're doing with that's, technology. That's exactly like when you're doing things with hand tools or I'm in the kitchen cooking or usually it's Grant in the kitchen cooking, actually. Or, you know, I'm working if I'm doing something physical with my hands, the kids can see it and ask questions. Why are you doing it that way? Why are you cutting that up? Why are you lighting that thing on fire? When I'm doing something on my computer or especially my phone, they don't know what I'm doing. They can't see anything. So how are they supposed to know all of the really cool things you can do? How are we supposed to teach them the possibilities, the culture of what's okay and what's not okay, the creative things, the, the, the clever hacks you can do? They cannot see us doing it. So we try to narrate what we're doing on tech a lot and like explain it and show them because otherwise they, they don't have a chance to learn from us. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll say I'm texting dad right now to see if he will bring home 
groceries soon or mm-hmm. right. I am using this to see what the weather is tomorrow if we can go to the beach. Is that what you're Exactly. Yeah. The weather scientists use the satellites. So let's ask the weather scientists what the weather is going to be like. Hey, I'm going to ask for directions because I want to double check. We explain what's happening. Uh, Alan likes to send emojis to people. He'll send, uses the phone to send uh, food emojis. We taught him how to do that level of texting and stuff. So doing that, but also showing that these are platforms which you can create with. They're not just consumers. Mm-hmm. A lot of the kid-facing tech, like they have tablets. It's very, you you don't get to change anything. It's very locked down. So we're introducing them to how can you tweak this and change it? And what settings can you do? And how can you install it? And how can mm-hmm. you play with it? I taught Alan all about infrared radiation the other day to play a prank on Grant with the TV. <laughs> it was like, yeah, no, it was it was because he's so he's four. So he was like giggling the whole time. It was hilarious. We talked about how the remote control works and how the TV works and how it sends the infrared. And we used the cell phone camera to look because you could see the infrared light on your cell phone camera. You can't wow. see with your eyes. Right. I was like, that's so cool. And then we got a black electrical tape and taped over the infrared sensor on the TV so that when Grant sat down to start a movie for Alan, uh, Alan's like, you start a movie, daddy? Giggle, 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 right? It doesn't work because we've taped over it. So we told like, this is a way to tweak and change and how it works and how to have fun with it. And it, it was a lot of fun, but we have to make sure that these black boxes, we're opening them up, not just for the possibilities of what you can do with them, mm-hmm. but the the things you can do with them that maybe weren't always intended but help you understand how they work. That's wonderful. There's there's so much more that you two do from wearable electronics to open civic data. There's all these lessons that you've talked about. Where do people go to learn more and make contact if they're interested? We yeah. both have Twitter accounts. Yeah. So I'm that's Guy McDudefellow on Twitter. You're Guy McDudefellow. I'm Caroline's Castle. That's probably a good way to get a hold of us. I will be, after I finish my dissertation, getting my blog up to date with more of my portfolio of stuff. Cool. So search your names for now and see what pops up and you'll find yeah. at least some breadcrumbs in the right yeah, direction. One of, the, one of the things that happens when you have small children is everything else tends to fall by the wayside. Well, that makes me all the more grateful you made time to talk to me today. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again to Caroline Harden and Grant Doby. Thank you to Furniture for our theme music. And thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with friends. And please join me again when I speak with hardware hacker extraordinaire Joe Grant about testifying before Congress, helping invent the self-driving car, and turning electronic badges into flamethrowers. That's next time on The Hacker Next Door.